We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And uh, one thing I want to bring to your attention, one of the things that we financially support every month is the Radiant Network, which is what this church was birthed out of. And this week we have another Radiant Church that's joining us in Portage, Michigan. This is their launch Sunday. Uh, so we're just going to pray for them real quickly and thank you that you allow us to be a part of giving towards that and seeing more churches planted uh, all across Michigan, our nation, and even internationally. So Father, this morning... Thank you for what you've done in Radiant Church here and Radiant Churches all over the place. And we pray specifically for Radiant Church in Portage, Michigan, God, that you would do something new there, God, that you would draw people who are hurt, who are lost, who are broken, that desperately need you, and that they would find the life that only you can give there, God. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would use them mightily to continue to influence that community and that you would be the one who fills them with strength and hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, that's being passed around. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, why don't you go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2 and then also Matthew 27, are kind of the two primary places we're going to be hanging out this morning. And if you've ever been to a church on Easter before, you've probably heard the whole Christmas story. You know that Jesus, he came, he was God, he died on a cross for our sins, he was buried, and then three days later on Easter Sunday, he was resurrected, and that now we have the hope that the same thing is going to happen to us, that we don't just die and go and our bodies sit in a grave, but that there's a day when Jesus is returning, and just as he was raised from the dead and given a new perfect heavenly body, that's the hope that we have as well. And I'm super excited about that because as I continue to age, I lose more and more body parts and more and more hair. And I'm really looking forward to that heavenly body that will be perfect. There'll be no more suffering, pain, tears, death, all of that stuff finally put away with once and for all. And I'm excited about that. But that is a future event that we're waiting for. It's one of the incredible benefits of Easter. But there's also another thing that I think is often overlooked and it's the hope that Easter gives us for life right here, right now, today, every day of your life. And that is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead means that you can live naked. Now when I told him, that's got some eyebrows up. No, put that back on, sir. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's talking about that we can have a naked relationship with God, that there can be complete honesty, there can be complete transparency with God, and that's the way that we were all created to live. It's a desire that's inside of every one of us. In fact, there is a naked desire inside of all of us. Our kids, I'm always trying to do two things every day, keep them all from dying and keep them with their clothes on. And if I have accomplished both of those in one day, I'm probably going to write a book on how to be the best parent in the world. But that hasn't happened yet, so we'll see. But there's a desire inside of every one of us is that we want to know God. And the reason for that is because it's how we were created to be. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, this is God's created everything, creates Adam and Eve, and this is what it says about the state at which Adam and Eve found themselves. It says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. That's the way we were created. We come into the world naked. Uh, God created Adam and Eve naked. And the only way that you can walk around naked without shame is if you are a kid and you don't understand about clothes yet or if you have nothing to be ashamed about, which is none of us. Uh, I don't even like getting out of the shower because there's a mirror in my bathroom. And <laughs> I'm always like hoping it's fogged up because I disgust me. But <laughs> I'm, I'm way off. <laughs> it's Easter. You can do what you want. So... But what this is speaking to, though, is that there's a desire that we all have, even if you don't believe there is a God, 
even if you don't believe that God is personally involved with your life, there's still something inside of us that hopes for that. I meet a lot of atheists and agnostics, and they say, I wish there was a God, I just don't see the evidence for a God, but that's what I want. I wish that this were the case. I wish there were a God who loves me and a God that I could know, but I haven't seen the evidence for it. And today, I'm not going to try to make an argument for that. There are two things that I always appeal to. Number one, the universe is really incredible, and so I'd encourage you to look at the universe and see the handiwork of a creator that's behind that. And then the other thing is that God speaks to us individually. And what convinced me to follow Jesus wasn't an argument, it wasn't some clever thing that someone presented me with, it was that God revealed himself to me. And that convinced me that there was a God. But what I want to convince you of today is that this God is a God that we can know. He's a God that we were created to live intimately with. We were created to be emotionally naked before him. We were created to live in a state in which there was no shame before us. We just knew God, and he knew us, and we received love for him, and we gave love back to him. That's the way that we were created to live. It's a desire that's inside of every single one of our hearts, and that desire is there because it's the way that we were always created to be. But that's not the way that we find ourselves. It's not the way that we were born into this world. And the reason for that, it goes back to Adam and Eve again. You all know the story. There's the fruit in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they're not supposed to eat it, but Satan comes. And the way that he tempts them is really clever. He doesn't say, hey, I dare you to eat the fruit. He says, God's trying to hold something back from you. If you eat from this fruit, then you're going to be like God. Now, Adam and Eve... They walked with God every day. I love it says that, that God would come into the garden, that his physical, tangible presence would be there and walk with Adam and Eve. That's the way they were created to be, walking with God, no shame in their relationship, complete openness, honesty, and transparency. Everything that they knew about good and evil came not because they decided what was right or what was wrong, but out of relationship with God. He revealed to them the way that he'd called them to live. He revealed to them what was good. He revealed to them what was evil. Our whole knowledge of all of this was meant to be from relationship with God. But Satan comes and says, God doesn't want you to be like him, but you have the power to be like God. You yourself can be the ones who determines what is right and wrong. And that's a very tempting thing. It's something that we all struggle with. And so they give in and they go and they eat of the fruit so that they can become like God. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. As soon as they sin, their relationship with God completely changes. Now instead of being naked and unashamed because there's nothing for them to be ashamed of, now they look around and they begin to feel shame about who they are. They feel shame about what it is that they've done. And so they begin to try to cover that shame. They sew fig leaves together. And how many of you know there's no amount of fig leaves that you can sew together that's ever going to remove any shame from your life? But that's what we do. We're always trying to find some way to remove shame even though it never works. And then when they hear God come to have his daily walk with them, instead of running like, I can't believe it, God's here, I'm going to go talk to him, this is going to be awesome, they hear him and they hide. You see what's happened to this relationship? 
going from knowing God and having no shame in your relationship with him, complete openness, honesty, and transparency, walking with him so intimately that his physical presence is there with you, walking with God, he's talking to you, he's telling you, how many questions do you have that you would love to be able to ask God? They had that. Any question they had, they can ask God because he's right there with them. It was a part of their daily routine. They lived in an intimate relationship with God. But as soon as they sinned, they began to feel shame. They tried to cover their sin, thinking that somehow God wouldn't be able to see it. And then they hid from the presence of God. And this is what happens. In Genesis 3, the story continues on. It says, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. Sin completely broke down our relationship with God, and it made it so that we, in a sense, were abandoned by him. God is so good, he is so perfect, he is so holy, that he can't be in the presence of how depraved and sinful we have become. He's just that good, that perfect. And so Adam and Eve are forced to leave the garden, which is partly symbolic of the life that we had with him. We're, we're cast out from the presence of God, the one who made us, the one who we've been walking with, the one who was our source of life, our source of all of our knowing. Now because of our sin that's produced shame, that causes us to cover ourselves up and causes us to hide, now we've been abandoned by God and we've been cast out from his presence. And God even takes a cherubim, which is a winged angel, and he puts it there to guard it and make sure that we can't come back to the place of where his presence is. That's a tragic story. Because something beautiful was lost. Something perfect was broken. Something that we were created to experience was stolen from us because of sin. We had no idea what the cost of our sin would be. But just because we had been kicked out of the presence of God doesn't mean that that desire has left us. We still have that desire inside of us to be close to God. We still have a desire inside of us to know him. But at the same time, we still recognize that there's brokenness that's inside of us. We recognize that there's sinful things that are going on, and so we keep trying to cover them up. We keep trying to do things that are going to hide the shame that we're feeling, and we keep trying to hide from God. How many times have you had an experience where you began to encounter God, but it just made you want to run away from him? Because you recognized he's good, he's perfect, he's pure and holy, and I'm nothing like that. And so now when we hear God, instead of running to him like our heart really wants us to, the shame that comes from sin causes us to try to hide ourselves and to cover up. That's the idea behind the whole temple system. As we read through the Old Testament, you see what God, he's working something. He has a plan that's in place. And the temple system is created because we still want to know God. We still want to encounter him. We still want to try to cover up the sin and the shame that we feel. So the temple system's instituted. And what that is, is there's a building, the temple, and you go there and you take animals and you sacrifice the animals as a way to try to cover the sin that you've committed. Now, there's no amount of fig leaves you can sow to cover sin. There's no amount of animals that you can kill to cover your sin. It's just vain human attempts to try to do something so that we can approach God. 
And then after you've made your sacrifice, you go into the temple itself, and there's the, the holy place, and you're burning incense there, and you're doing things, but you're still not in the presence of God, but you're getting closer to the place where he is. And then there's the holy of holies, the innermost chamber of the temple, and there in the temple... In that, in that center area is the Ark of the Covenant, and right there is the physical, tangible presence of God on the face of the earth. It's where everybody wants to go, everybody wants to be near God, but our sin and our shame makes it so we can't actually get to him. We can get kind of close, we can do some things to try to cover up our shame, but we can't actually get to the presence of God. In fact, there's a curtain that's blocking the entrance to this room. Over the threshold, there's this thick curtain, and this is how it's described in Exodus chapter 36. For the inside of the tabernacle, Bezalel made a special curtain of finely woven linen. He decorated it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and skillfully embroidered cherubim. There's those cherubim again. And what they're doing is, this is again symbolic of that, the angels are guarding us and keeping us from entering into the place where God is. We can try to cover our sin and our shame through sacrificing. We can get close to God, but we can't get to him. We're still guarded from going into the presence of God himself. And this is the way that everybody lived. This was as good as it could possibly get for you. This was the best that you could hope for. And so for generations and generations, this is all humanity's doing is I know God he's out there. I was made to encounter him. I was made to know him. So I'm going to try to do things to cover up my sin. I'm going to try to get close to him. But no matter what I do, the cherubim are still there guarding me from entering into his presence because of my sinfulness. And that might be the way that we were born into the world. That might be the result of what it is that we have done. But that isn't God's desire for us. And from before we even fell, before we ever rejected God and became filled with shame over our sin, God had a plan in place to come and to restore relationship with him. And that's what we see in Jesus. Is that Jesus, God in human flesh, comes to the earth, gives up the glory of heaven where he's been worshipped by angels for all of eternity, always existing, gives up all of that to come down, to enter into the world like all of us do, to live amongst us, to go through rejection, to go through hurt, to go through pain, sickness, sorrow, everything that we experience. The God, the creator of all of the universe, came and subjected himself to that because he loved us so much that he wasn't willing for us to live apart from him. And for three years, he teaches about the kingdom of God. He teaches about our identity, who it was that we were created to be. He teaches us about how much God loves us, about the life that's possible with him, who we were called to be. And then he goes to the cross. He's beaten, he's tortured, and he's crucified by the people that he came to save, by the people that he created and had been rejected by for all time. And as he's hanging there on the cross, it says this in Matthew 27, and we get a glimpse of what it was that was being accomplished. It says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So on the cross, number one, Jesus was abandoned. It might seem odd, how can God be abandoned by God? It was because Jesus came 
to live through the human experience. He gave up his divine rights and attributes to come and to be one of us. And the one who had always existed in the, as a member of the Trinity, the one who was worshipped by angels, perfect communion with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father, he finds himself on a cross being abandoned by God. And in doing so, he identified with what we went through at the garden. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the presence of God because of their sinfulness, when the cherubim was put up to keep them from ever being able to come back and have access to the presence of God, now Jesus, he knows what that's like. He comes to the place of where his connection, his knowing, his life that he has from knowing God the Father is removed from him. And God the Father turns his back on his son and the reason why that happens is because at that moment, Jesus took all the sin of the world upon himself. That sin that made it so that we couldn't be in the garden in the presence of God, that sin that broke our relationship with him, Jesus took that on himself. It says that he that knew no sin became sin. When you think about all the horrific things that happen in the world, just think about what it is that you've done yourself. Think about what is you've seen around you. Think of the violence. Think of the oppression. Think of the abuse. Think of the murder, the rape, all of the horrible things that are happening all around the world. Think of all of those sins now have been put on Jesus. All of the shame that comes from those sins are now put on Jesus. All of the guilt that comes from that, it's all put on Jesus. And he experiences everything that we've experienced. He experiences our sin, he experiences our shame, and he experiences what it's like to be abandoned by God because of it and to have a broken relationship with the Father. It even says this, as he's on the cross, some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought that he was calling out to the prophet Elijah. And one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, Let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And it's easy to think that what's happening here is someone's coming and they're trying to help him. They're trying to give him a drink to bring him some relief as he's suffering on the cross. But really what's happening is, number two, the sin of humanity is being put on him. At that time, the Romans built these public bathrooms. And you would go there and they weren't nice like our bathrooms now, but it was better than the alternative. And they had slaves who worked at the bathrooms and they would take a sponge and they would put the sponge on a stick and they would use that to clean you after you had used the restroom. It was a horrible job and that's why they gave it to the slaves. And to keep it somewhat sanitary, they poured sour wine over it to act as a disinfectant. So what's really happening here is as Jesus is crying out and suffering, the bystanders are adding insult to injury. They're continuing to mock him by taking one of these sticks that's been used to clean someone's backside and putting that up to his lips. It's a disgusting image, but it's the perfect image of what it was that happened to Jesus on the cross. All of the filth of humanity all of the sin of humanity, all of the shame for everything that we've done, everything that broke our relationship with God, everything that went against the divine purposes that we were created for, all of that was put on Jesus on the cross. Every sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. 
And it says, and then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. What that means is that's the moment where Jesus dies. On the cross, Jesus is abandoned by God. He experiences our broken relationship because he's taken on all of our sin, all of how messed up humanity has become. It's all on him now. And he dies. And what happens at that moment is all of our sins are atoned for. Everything that we were trying to do by covering ourselves up with fig leaves, everything we were trying to do by sacrificing animals, and as brutal and disgusting of an image as it is to think of the blood and the violence that's involved in killing an animal, it was all just a picture to make us aware of how great the price was, how bad our sin really was, and what it demanded from a holy God to be able to make it just and to make it right. And it was all pointing to what it was that Jesus was going to do. For years in the temple sins, they came and they would pronounce their sins over the animal before they sacrificed it. As they say, now this animal has taken my place. I deserve death, but my sin was put upon this animal and its life was given so that I could have life. It was all pointing to Jesus who went and all of our sins were put upon him and the knife came to him and his life was taken for him. And it wasn't just to cover our sins anymore, it was to atone for them. It removed all of our sin for us because he was the only one. God is the only one who had the power to be the one to pay the price for our sins. And the thing about that now is that Jesus became the sacrifice that removed our sins. So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see all the things that you've done to other people. He doesn't see the things that have been done to you. You might continue to live with the memory of that, but when God looks at you, he doesn't even see that. When he looks at you, he sees a son or a daughter that has never sinned. He sees someone that has nothing to be forgiven inside of their life because when he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus over you. Jesus took our sin so that we could take the righteousness of Jesus. And what that means is it goes on, it says, at that moment, right as he dies, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain with the cherubim on it who were guarding us and keeping us back from experiencing the presence of God, who were keeping us from knowing God intimately, from being transparent with him, from walking with him. That curtain that was the symbol of the barrier that stood between us and God, our abandonment, our rejection, our sinfulness, and our shame, it was torn. The moment Jesus died and paid the price for our sins, removing our sins from us, that curtain was torn by God himself. That's what it means when it says torn from top to bottom. That's speaking that God was the one who did it. We were the ones who sinned. We were the ones who built this barrier. We designed the curtain. But God's the one that came, and he's the one that tore it down. And now every single one of us can know God. Because on the cross, number four, intimacy with God was restored. Jesus made it possible for us to live the way that we had always been created to live. 
not by trying to follow a religious system to make ourselves somewhat acceptable, not by following a system of trying to hide our guilt and shame, and we're not sacrificing animals or sowing fig leaves, but we are doing things to try to cover up our shame. It can be serving, it can be pursuing causes, it can be giving, it can be good things that we're doing, but it can be from the motive of trying to cover up our shame. It can be comparing ourselves to other people, I'm not as bad as them. That's us trying to cover up our own sin and our own guilt and our own shame. But we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live continuing to try to make sacrifices. Jesus is the one who became our sacrifice to remove it all from us. We can live naked like Adam and Eve. We can live with no shame, nothing to hide inside of our lives, being completely open, completely vulnerable, and transparent with God. We can live a life where we don't have to run from his presence, but we can approach the presence of God. We're invited in to know God, into his presence relationship with him has been restored. That's the power of the resurrection for us today, is that Jesus has resurrected not just our hope for the future, but he's resurrected the relationship that we were always created to live in with him, here and now. And so my question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus? Not just do you know about him, Lots of people know about Jesus. You weren't created to know about Jesus. You were created to know him. You were created to walk with him. You weren't created to follow a list of things to do and things not to do to make yourself acceptable to God that you don't understand. You were created to have God reveal to you through relationship the way that you were created to live. Everything that you know should come from knowing God. He should be the most real thing in all of your life. He should be the greatest desire that you have inside of you, the one who you are completely and utterly lost and broken and incomplete without. And we all are if we don't have him. And that's why Jesus came to do this. He didn't just come so that we could have a future hope of glory someday when he returns. That's a part of it. But Jesus says, this is why I came. He says, the enemy came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what Satan does. That's what he did in the garden. He stole, he killed, and he destroyed Adam and Eve's relationship with God and with each other. And it's what he's been doing inside of our lives. But Jesus says, while the enemy's come to do that, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. The reason Jesus came was so that you could have life, an abundance of life, and then Jesus goes on to define for us what life is. He says, and this is eternal life, knowing God the Father and the Christ who he sent. Jesus came so that you could know him. The reason he went to the cross to die for your sin was so that you could know him. Not someday, but right here and right now. In every moment of your life, every day you can wake up fresh and new in awe of who God is. Every day you can learn more about him, learn more about his love for you. Being completely vulnerable and living without shame because of what he's done for you, because of how great his love is for you. So do you know Jesus? Not just do you know about him, but are you taking advantage? Are you living with the benefit of what Jesus did for us on the cross? Because if you're living without knowing him, 
You continue to live with brokenness inside of you. You continue to try to cover. You continue to try to hide. You weren't created for that. You were created for so much more. And Jesus made that all possible for you. It's what we celebrate at Easter. You all pray with me this morning. And God, this morning, we just want to be still and we want to be quiet before you. And God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. We know that we can hear you. So God, this morning, would you speak to our hearts? And God, reveal to us, do we know you, Jesus? Or do we just know about you? Just ask God that. If the answer for you is that you don't know him, you just know about him, then this morning, God wants to meet you. He wants to do something new inside of your heart. All that we have to do is believe. He already paid the price for our sin to be removed. He already paid the price for relationship with him to be restored. All we have to do is admit it and say, God, I did sin. I did mess this thing up but I believe that you're the one who removes my sin from me. I believe that you're the one who lives now and forever, and I believe that you can cause me to have eternal life, that you can cause me to know you. And when you pray that prayer, what God does is he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And now you become that temple where the presence of God dwells and resides. And now you know him. You know God. And this is just for everybody. If you're here this morning and you know that you need more of God in your life, you want to know him deeper, more intimately, you want to pursue after him, you want to walk with him like Adam and Eve in the garden. This morning, this is that sign before God is saying, that's me, God. Would you just be so bold as to raise your hand with me and say, God, I want to know you. I'm tired of knowing about you. God, I want that joy in my relationship with you. I want that kind of love and acceptance in my life. I want this relationship to be more real than anything else I've ever encountered. Thank you, thank you. And we're just going to pray this together. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for removing my guilt, my sin, and my shame. Now would you reveal yourself to me? Now would you start a fire in my heart, a desire to know you, a desire to to take hold of everything for which you've taken hold of me. And God, every day as I awake, would I be overwhelmed by your goodness, overwhelmed by your love and acceptance as you continue to reveal yourself to me. My life from this day forward is all about knowing you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that's awesome. God's doing things in hearts all over this room, and we're so grateful for that. It's the start of a new day for you. And uh, in front of you, you might see there's some communication cards. If you're a guest here today, we're so grateful for that. Uh, we know there's a lot of things you could have done. You could have been sleeping in or going to Grandma's house for Easter or eating peeps. I hope not eating peeps. Uh, we'll be praying for you if you are for healing after service. <laughs> but you're here. And so we'd love to have you fill those out and turn it in at the information table. And I'll just shoot you an email this week and see if there's anything we can do for you. 
If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or recommit yourself to following him, you can indicate that on the back side of the card, and we'd love to know that just so we can keep praying for you and so that we can be a resource for you. If there's anything we can do to encourage you in that, then let us do that for you. Also, if you want to know more about Radiant Church, on the first Sunday of every month, so kind of May 7th, we have our Belong class, which is just lets you know what our vision, our values are, what the heartbeat of Radiant Church is. We'd love to have you come to that. It's only about a half hour right after service, and uh, you get a chance to meet me and ask me some questions and see if this is the place that God's calling you to. If not, I'm going to call my prayer partners up here, and they'll be right here. We'd love to pray with you. If there's anything that we can uh, agree with you about, or you know, if you need wisdom for decision, healing in your body, you want to know Jesus more, come, let us pray for you. God does miracles every single week in response to the prayers of his people. If not, go out there, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and we'll see you back here next week at 10 o'clock. God bless.